Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Rob Denham. And I'm Rob Fanouf. And you heard that voice that we had on a year ago to talk about, well, all things herd, fawn, satyrs, rhinos, all kinds of cool things. But before we get there, Rob, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Super glad to have you on, because like I said, uh, for those that haven't listened, back in episode 252 from last April of 2018, we had RDG Gaming on, and we talked all about uh, his Kickstarter project, which is not dead. It's In fact, I've got something in my hands that we're going to talk about. Uh, but before we get there, What's been going on in your neck of the woods? How has the scene been developing for in the Pacific Northwest? And I actually heard you actually played some games and have been doing some Kings of War. Yeah, we've actually been doing a, a lot of uh, little things. The Pacific Northwest scene is still going strong as far as the tournament scene is going. Uh, we've had some growth with people moving in and out. And I actually helped host the first tournament of the year in January. We ended up hosting it in Lakewood. And... Almost had full attendance on that one, but we got we saw people all the way from Canada, Oregon, as far as up as Seattle and Bellevue. So it, it was an awesome day, nonetheless. And then right now we have a buddy, Dustin Church. He's heading up a one day May 18th with Phalanx at Gabby's, essentially Gabby's shop. We call it Gabby's because it's Olympia, uh, essentially uh, Olympia card games, uh, but most people call it Gabby's anyways. Uh, that one's coming up and we have a big one coming up. It's essentially our Emerald city dragon con. I want to see it's in August, but I have to d- double check on that one, but it's supposed to be our big headliner for the Pacific Northwest this year. Kind of like how we did our cons last year and the ones before that. And Tom Millard's running that one up. Tom's such a passionate person. I'm sure it's going to be an exceptional event. I know all the West coast guys are planning to go up. Yeah, of course. Uh, Cause it's pretty much, of the GTs in Washington, it's the biggest one because we actually have a lot more space with the hotels and stuff like that. So you'll 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 see everyone coming in with their brothers, and it's just really awesome because we end up going together afterwards, uh, just ha- having some beers, food, whatever comes up. And the games are always fun no matter what, and we get a lot of price support too. So that's an extra bonus on top of everything. Absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, price support's nice, but really it's the, the, the quality of the people that show up at the event that make the event. Of course. Always. Especially like uh, Dan Miner. Just good guy, good guy to drink with. Oh, gosh. He is... Uh, I've had the luxury of hanging out with him a couple times now, and uh, I love that guy. He's just... Uh, he's passionate, but he's... Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Canadian cool is the, is the, uh, the term I'm going to dub. Um, but he's, and it's not just him. It's actually most of the guy. I would say all the guys from your area have that same, you know, um, laid back, comfortable vibe that uh, that we get to see every year at the Masters. So it's it's a it's a great place to probably live, and it's probably even a better place to to be doing some Kings of War. We're even getting guys coming out from Alaska too. The game is growing. That's that's a good sign. 
Mm-hmm. We had R.G. Allen come out, and we've been trying to get Malcolm down, too. I know last year we had Brian and Duvall come down, too, so that was really awesome just, just to see people come down. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's but, amazing. Yeah. So let's get an update on RGD Gaming. What's been going on over the last year? How's business been? Business has been doing really well. Um, as far as what we've been doing, we've been transporting a lot of product into the Amazon scene, and we've noticed that people have been liking to use their subscriptions a big time amount. In fact, it was almost three times what our site was doing. So we've we've kind of gotten used to just sending in stuff now. So we've been so from a fulfillment standpoint, it. I don't know. We may just end up seeing a future where we're just sending product from a warehouse just because of how it is now. Um, but right now, uh, Vanguard is exploding in, in terms of sales. Anyways, people are buying rule books and it's really hard to keep them in stock now. Um, people are buying boosters and war bands left and right. And you can't keep Northern Alliance on the shelves too long before it's already sold out. Um, People have been loving the dwarves, and I think people are going to go crazy for the goblins coming out right now. Let's start with this, though. What do you think of Vanguard? Have you gotten any games in? I have not. From what I've seen, it kind of reminds me of a very fast-paced D&D session. You just can get, you can kind of get into it. If you ever played uh, Dead Zone, for example, you know how fast-paced it can actually be once you get to it. And yep. since they have a similar rule set that they could work with, um, Vanguard kind of took some reins from that and I from what I've saw it's uh, essentially the same idea in a lot of ways yeah it's an but, awesome game uh, I have not played as much uh, but I did play at the Adepticon event and it, I mean it's it's a lot of fun um, I think it's a great way to get people into King's War because sometimes when you say hey you want to try King's War they like it but then they realize oh I got to paint 100 models you know th- in this oh, way yeah. you, you know this way you're like well just paint how about you just paint 15 or you paint 10 or, or 20, depends on the, the faction. Some are obviously, obviously more and some are less, but uh, the rules or are not... five or six of your ogres. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tyler Schultz, if you're listening, you know, I think you need to need to switch away from ogres. Um, but yeah, it's a great game, and um, it's actually just a little bit more complex than than uh, Kings of War. I'm about maybe seven or eight games in, and it's it's been a lot of fun. And you mentioned the dwarves. Wow. <laughs> those are some really, really nice... Those resin sculpts they have are really, really fantastic. I mean, pro- probably some of the best uh, models they've ever produced. And then on the heels of that, now we've got the goblins, which actually top the dwarves. Uh, the maw pump launcher and stuff that I saw in person at Adepticon. I mean, it's it's crazy good. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's fun, too, because I think they've done a pretty good job of... Really flushing out uh, or fleshing out the different units and gave them really unique uh, play methods in the game. Um, and so you've got like guys that are more shooty and then more of a Malay monster dude. So it's nice. And I think they've really given a distinct personality to the various armies or the various factions. And uh, I also like to see them rolling them into Kings of War now. And we're starting to see like Seal Juggernauts you know, on the table in a dwarf army. So it's awesome. I think there's a lot of future for Vanguard and I think it's definitely a really good entry point for people that uh, want to dip their toe in the, 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 the Mantic universe, the, the fantasy Mantic universe, um, but don't necessarily want to dive all in at Kings of War yet because you can paint some characters up uh, and get going pretty quickly. Well, be an interesting change for me to see. I know goblins used to be a big spitter focus when you're playing Kings of War. 
I mean, you'd see a list just dedicated around them. Uh, what I'd love to see right now is with the luggage. It, this whole story with the luggage is actually kind of funny when you just kind of look at them from the uh, pictures anyways. Just the goblins carrying those big, heavy weapons. But I'd love to see uh, little melee units of those guys or, you know, give them, like, crushing strength one, maybe melee four or five or something like that. But give them something that you could actually maybe spam a little bit more melee-oriented instead of shooting so that way maybe you could bounce it out. But then again, they, they're kind of nice all-rounders anyways if you actually look at them. Product offering, anything changed with the store? Or are you still doing the same products you were carrying last year or you got anything new? So uh, we've been kind of taking a hiatus on the stocking lately. We've been getting the Vanguard stuff in as we've been going along. We need to catch up on the forces of nature and obviously the goblins coming out. Uh, we've been on the hiatus as of late because we've been focusing intensely on this Kickstarter. Uh, if we were to try to do both right now with the lifestyle, it would have, I think customer service would have gone downhill very fast. So the best hybrid was the Amazon route. So that way we could offer it. And worst case, people could still go through Amazon customer service and get refunds or exchanges whenever needed. And we could still stand in stuff from time to time too, just to make sure that, you know, some demand is satiated. But um, we, as far as the new stuff, we're just going to be trying to get it in little bits and little bits at a time. It also doesn't help when you put in a lot of investment towards making sprues and other stuff like that. So we've got some catching up to do. It's a good segue is that you are still very passionate about this fawn army. Um, is that what we're calling it? Is, there, is it got a different name? I've, I've just been going with fawns because it's the Roman version of them. Uh, if you went with the classic satires, you'd be probably seeing like tails and more of a horse-like feature. But we did a little bit of both because we have sculpture of satires and fawns. So we went a little nuts in that aspect. Um, as far as the Fawn Army goes, it's yeah, pretty much going by that name because it represents one of the races you can find in herd, and it, they make a good standard line infantry that Mantic has yet to put out there. And it's, I swear to goodness, it's one of the most popular untouched armies Mantic has barely played on. I know they have like, and I know they have centaurs. I know you probably use gargoyles as harpies and whatnot, but a lot of people are. I don't know. They, they're kind of mixing it up. They have their own tastes. And for me, it just, since I play a herd, it, I wanted to kind of take my Skaven out of there and replace them with something that actually made sense for the theme behind them. And there's also a cool little thing we can do with like Hunters of the Wild or, I mean, they have an appearance that would blend in well with elves. I know there are some players that would be probably smacking me right now for even mentioning anything good with elves, but it is something. Uh, well, you know, I, you know, uh, we're going to talk about the sprue in a minute, but you know, I think you're on to something there. That you know, I, one of the things I would comment on, just looking at the sprue, uh, it's almost like a good herd army, if that makes sense. It definitely has that. Um, I want maybe Narnia feel. You know, it's got like a thing where it's not the the typical real chaosy, dark, evil beastmen like say from GW. It's it's the the opposite of that. And I think absolutely it would fit in with elves if you wanted if you wanted to make that happen. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, you gotta. We kind of went with a more neutral tone. Uh, it really behind that is because when you're playing herd, for example you have this light and dark feel to them, depending on which god you're talking about. Um, 
uh, obviously there's ones for the Green Lady, others uh, for I want to say Chiron, if I Chiron, got that yep. name right. Chiron, you're right. But anyways, it's just you kind of have that middle ground where it's just they're neutral. You can play them on both parts. Uh, that in, in the background, fawns have been depicted as both doing good and also being mischievous by uh, taking people away from the guy that passed. So you never know with the whole uh, people dying randomly from just not being prepared or you get the occasional savior. So there's a lot of story in, in the background that really helps them kind of, you can go either way with them. Well, let's talk about, you've been working on this project for the last year since the last time we talked. What has changed? What has developed between then and now? Because I've actually got something in my hand. That's one thing, but you know, just give us a big picture. What's What's been updating or what's... What are the big updates, the big takeaways from the project over the last year? So from the updates that we had, we do have some long-term ambitions to make a herd line. But from what I felt was that with the change from last year to this year, we went with a more intense focus. We focused on the initial goals being for the fawns so that way people could get the best of them before we get distracted by other cool things. Like we want to do stuff like centaurs, chimeras, and minotaurs and other things like that and our chariots and when you have that kind of epic toy list that you want to do you can't you can easily lose sight of yourself because of it so just to keep it fresh for the first reboot we decided to focus on those fawns and our big goal if we can get to it is our centaurs i mean that's if we can get that far if we can just get the fawns that would be a good start because that would form the back line of what's missing and what I believe the herd the herd army can represent. Well, let's talk about, let's get into it. Let's talk about this sprue that you've had made uh, or you, you made. Uh, first of all, congratulations. That is not an easy accomplishment to make something. I mean, lots of people make resin. A lot of people make metal, uh, PVC, but this is an actual hot, you know, high impact polystyrene sprue, just like you'd find from any of the other big boys. And uh, you're kind of a one man show. Yeah, it is kind of outstanding. You'd be surprised nowadays what is actually going on in the background price-wise. Um, you'll find that most of the big houses actually, if they're not doing it in-house, you actually can find them working with factories in China doing it. And it kind of comes down to methods now, and most of them are using a free-form combination with CNC now. And all that really means is that the old way they used to do things like hand sculpts, where they would do bigger versions and scan them and then eventually kind of put them into a uh, kind of a CAD program. I mean, you could still do that nowadays, but really it boils down to the sculpts being digitized into something you could work in, say, SolidWorks or another program. Mm -hmm. Uh, Freeform is the biggest discerner. Uh, Mantic, for example, uses it. At least their molders do. And all it really means is that they can plot out layouts for the CNC machine. So that way, once it's outputted correctly and calibrated, the machines can actually etch it out very, very quickly. Um, finding that the price um, price and quality seem to be about the same, depending on. You can actually get lesser quality for the same price. You can also get greater quality for the same price. So it really came down to the right factory. Uh, we were battering our heads for months on the subject. We kept finding good ones. Um, even talked to Mantics a little bit just to see how the ball was rolling with that one. But 
uh, in the end, we ended up partnering with War Games Atlantic, and they've, they're a big up-and-comer, probably a big disturber to the industry right now, because they want to do everything from Irish down to Persians, down to, as you probably saw the other day, halflings even, or at least garnering s- some ideas for that people would be interested in halflings. And, you know, I, I think it's really going to be excited, um, or exciting in that sense, um, but working with him, we had actually been talking about molds back and forth for probably a good couple of years. And we finally got to a point where there was a good high quality mold maker that we actually found. And from there, it's just, I mean, sky's the limit now and funds. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, money's still the money's still a big deal, but you guys did an amazing job. So let's talk about this sprue specifically. So right now you've got one sprue built. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That, that's for, for fawns. And it's, you know, going through it, it can pretty much, you know, cover cover a wide gamut of things in terms of armament. I mean, you've basically got, um, you can do the, the hand weapon shield, you can do a spear and a shield, you can do two-handed weapons, you even got a bow on there. You know, talk to me, talk me, talk me through how you figured out what to include on this sprue. So, when we, when we made it, we had to think of what the players would be doing. And likelihood, when you're thinking about like herd players or like even beastmen players, you're, you're thinking of the common uh, handheld weapons. You're thinking of uh, ungors where they have spears. Uh, herd has a similar sense where you have a lot of general infantry. You've got shooters as far as your hunters go. Uh, but pretty much a bunch of light infantry options. And then there are the upgrades to them, the tribal longhorns where you give them heavier weapons. And from there, we kind of broke down parts for each of those, bowmen, javelin, etc., into the first spruce. That way we can kind of showcase the variety. Now, the, the problem was that we had male and female skulls. We had at least 20 different weapon varieties um, between three different poses that we could draw from. So we really had to cut it down to a finite list for the first one. But I think it was pretty impressive what we got just on the first sprue. Uh, oh, yeah. Second, yeah. Amazing. You, so you have plans for a second sprue? Yeah. Well, that's the idea. If on the Kickstarter that we're trying to do, the the first one, if we break the $10,000 goal, is meant for the female mold. And it'll essentially have a similar idea to the male molds. So that way, when they work together, you'll have, you can have bracing females along other bracing males. You'd have women uh, carrying bows or other weapons that would have probably worked for them and their physical strength. And then the whole two-handed weapons, too, because, I mean, if you're going to go all out, might as well make females with badass weapons on top of that. Absolutely. And then from there, the second, third spruce, you just you just kind of flush them out to give them a little bit more variety. Like the javelin throws, for example, we know that everyone wouldn't want to just have overhand throws for all of them. So we'd probably include things like uh, javelin throwers with spears at rest, uh, probably uh, throwing knives. Uh, I know hunters were actually a big thing for us because um, people were asking for things like throwing knives, throwing axes, and then obviously spears and axes, you, you can't go too far without those. And on top of that, you when we base the weapons, we kind of were looking at the best influences we could think of at the time, and Thracians were probably one of the best. 
So a lot of their weapons have a kind of a hacking or a skirmish mentality where they can just kind right. of carry it and run. Uh, their shields, for example, uh, big wicker. Uh, the big thing that we had, um, Michael was actually showing me a little bit more how he could do it, but he essentially could take the shields, put them on the back of the uh, fawns, and now you got uh, a more semi-protected two-handed wielder, or uh, you could do the same thing with like archers. So, and my the painter for the fawns initially too, and he actually showed how you could do a shoulder pad as an imp- uh, improvised loincloth, which was kind of cool. Uh, that's also included too to kind of give a, a little bit more of a heavy armor look, but mm-hmm. obviously well, yes. very optional. Uh, so this sprue's got a lot on it. You know, it's got, obviously you've got three bodies, which are, you know, you got your torso and then your, your bottom half with your legs. You've got six different heads. You've got, you know, you've got uh, two two-handed weapons. You've got a bunch of, uh, what, three hand, one-handed weapons, I guess. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. four, four spear, you got a couple shield, you got one bow. And I guess when you cut, when you pair this off with the next sprue, it'll make more sense, right? Cause like only having one bow, but on the next sprue, maybe there's a couple extra bow. And then that way it, it kind of balances it out depending on what you want to do. But it's really cool from one sprue. You can pretty much make all of the, the ranks, the, 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 the stock rank, the core stock rank core units of the herd army. Mm-hmm. We were going to essentially duplicate some of the initial sprues so that way people could do lines of bracing spears, like if they want to. Uh, we knew people would probably want an increased variety of archers or javelin throwers. Yeah. So that, that's why when we focus on the first sprues coming out, they're working together in order to influence what you could probably do on the lines, uh, say if you're doing a horde, for example, because we know people would probably want a uniform look to them. Um, the reason why, reason why we threw in like the two-handed weapons, for example, is because uh, like tribal spears, for example, you can throw in a bunch of bracing fawns, but then you have your leaders with, say, a musical instrument like the shofar, the horn, yep. and then you can you can have people with two-handed weapons like the axes and the uh, the folks. I like the rampaya in that one, but pretty similar. Essentially, when you have those uh, tribal spirit elements, you could throw on special two-handed weapons, too, to just represent the carnage of what would probably come if they're hit. And then there's the whole concept of tribal warriors, where you can just kind of mix and match a little bit of everything. And, you know, it's kind of hard to just make them one uniform box, so you're better off just going with a variety. And, you know, we could with the Kickstarter, we could potentially take a 20-man box up to 24 if we get the command sprue, which we, from a lot of people, they've been wanting heavier armor fawns or fawns that mm-hmm. have been taking some of the best warband loot from whatever they kill in the forest, for example. And so, I'm assuming that, assuming that command sprue would have things like a standard of some sort. Oh yes. Uh, like a flag. Cause you know, when you're, when you're so used to like beastmen or like warmer fantasy banners, just, it makes a whole lot of sense just to include them. It makes their presence that much more thematic. Absolutely. And my my favorite bit on the sprue though has got to be that little uh, little. It's a bundle of like three spears. I think that's just that's so awesome. Um, you know, you could hook to somebody's back and you could just tell he's got extra spears just in case. The other thing I was thinking with too, they're really cool on the back, and for but for some people, I could see them being used as scenery, like uh, like war wagons. You can put them in the back of them. And just essentially represent a weapons case. Yeah, and you've got things like a quiver, 
really, really cool. And, you know, hand weapons-wise, you have an axe, and then I forget the technical term, but you have that two-handed weapon that's like, was it, like for killing horses or something? I call it the folks, but it kind of represents more of a rampaya. They, both of them can be used two-handed style, and they're both technically pull arms. One has more of a hook, whereas one is more like a curved blade. Right. Uh, the, folks, the folks with the hook, you can... When people actually went into battle with them, you, they used to just charge head on, and then the the speed and the weight of the blade would essentially carve into whatever you kind of hit with it. The other thing is when it dro- drove itself into shields, the hook feature of it when it went down meant that as you hit, you could literally drag the shield away from the man, un- unlock the sword, and then go back into him. So in- instead of relying on the shield, you have that offensive and defensive weapon in the same respect. What about basing? What, what's your plan? I know we'll get more details with the Kickstarter, but uh, are you planning to do like the MDF route or kind of what are you thinking? So MDF seemed like the best way to start right now. Uh, we can get custom bases pretty quickly. Uh, we found that they could do fairly well on 25. Uh, 20 probably suit them a little bit better, but if you want to give them kind of a... Um, as I say, kind of represent their smaller stature, I'd probably go with a 25. With a 20, they'll feel compact, but they won't essentially rub each other. So that way you can still line them up pretty well. Uh, we had to go through and experiment a little with it, but uh, the wood base has just made a lot more sense because you can do a whole lot of cool custom stuff with it. And uh, same buddy, Dan Meyer, I'll probably end up bugging him because he's got a good laser cutter, so probably get a package from Canada at some point in the future because because we had promised the uh, backers that we'd offer them bases toward the end of the Kickstarter so that way it just makes it easier because I know some people will probably want easier circle-based ones uh, for Mm -hmm. Age of Sigmar, but of course, Kings of War, you got to have your square bases or multi-bases. When I look at the sprue, this smacks like you really want, I I probably, when I do this, I'm probably going to base it up in troops and then each troop can have a different unit type you know, uh, and what you can just simply do is whatever the unit, the bigger unit is supposed to have, you put that troop in front, right? So if now they have spears and shields, that's the troop that you put in the front. Uh, and now they have two-handed weapons, you put that in front. And it makes it makes it for a very versatile uh, kit. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this. You've got a fawn, sprue one, sprue done. You've got a female version coming, possibly a command sprue uh, to give you a little bit more armor and a standard and that kind of thing. What else do you got planned for the Kickstarter? So the ones after that, um, technically the one that was supposed to come after the Fonz are in the mid one was the unit of Minotaurs. Uh, we'll need to discuss that a little bit more with the sculptures in the background, but we have a Minotaur brute and scale uh, that we wanted to make kind of a regiment out of. So that way when people get them, like in the army in the box or if they want to unlock it later, they actually have a horde by minimum standards, ready to go from the army box. Uh, we wanted to kind of change the weapons up a little bit, give them a little bit more variation. Uh, those would be cool, but I'm still looking forward to the centaurs most of all, because with those centaurs, uh, what we're trying to do is make a, a custom cut horse kit, where instead of just making the torsos already on them, we essentially just cut it in half. We use the fawns with their variety of weapons and what have you. And we create the custom horse base. Um, probably gonna we, we need, depending on the space, uh, to choose the unique poses for it. But what we'd like to do is settle the fawn torsos or 
if you're not going to use fawn torsos, you could probably use similar size torsos. Um, put them on, you mimic it, and with some hopping, you can do everything from putting putty on them to uh, an accessory piece to protect them from the front. Uh, kind of another uh, branch off the wicker uh, shield, but for the front of the horses. But essentially, since no one really does plastic centaurs, I think it'd be kind of one of the first to kind of branch out and do that for people because I think there's been some demand. Plus, um, with like pewter centaurs, for example, I have I have a pain with them because they seem easily twistable, breakable, or they're a pain in the butt to glue. With with um, plastic, it just makes sense because you can easily glue them. They can be moldable, and if you're already making fonts in plastic, why not pair it with another plastic base? Um, fr- from there on, it's just kind of more of a surprise that we need to reveal. Um, but I'd actually like to give people from the Army in the Box kind of more of a voting power for that one because we can do everything from chariots, satires, to chimeras, to, I mean, or we can even do more variations on the fawns, more of a berserker style if we want to. But, I mean, there's a whole bunch that we could still tap into, and I think we're just going to be excited with whatever comes out with. I know Tim Berry, he's currently doing a lot right now, but he's really excited just to get into the sculpting scene for it right now. And on top of that, you can get everything ready in plastic on top of that. So it's, it's made production just outstandingly easier. You know what you just said there? I mean, for those that don't know the check the show notes for a picture of the sprue, but the torso, the top, the the upper portion of the body is separate. It would be Mm -hmm. pretty easy to put it on a horse. Right. And, and now you've got, you've leveraged all the stuff, the armament, the the heads already on the the fawn sprue now to make some really interesting looking centaurs um, and so and then you have extra real estate on you know centaurs you know there's all kinds of cool things you can do with you know different uh, horse sculpts or the bottom half of a horse sculpt so I, I'm excited now with the minotaur you were talking about are you thinking are those going to be uh, plastic as well uh, right now Peter um, I think it's going to be a little ambitious to do them as a plastic right now I understand completely. Yeah, because uh, we could do a three-man sprue, but it probably costs cost us quite a pretty penny. Uh, for just one trio of those, we'd essentially have to up or lower one of the tiers that we're working on now. So compared to getting the pewter molds going, we could probably get a unit of those guys under a grand much faster, and we can set that up for an easier mass replication. Um we had toyed with the idea of resin, but I don't know if you know the situation of the resin houses right now, but it, it's always overbooked with the Kickstarters right now. Cause as you had mentioned, a lot of people do metal. A lot of people do, uh, well, resin and pewter. And that kind of clogs up all the major houses. I mean, you can find some stuff, but, um, pewter right now, if you find the right company, you can do it much quicker than resin. And it's, Got a similar quality, plus it's a lot more durable in shipping. And uh, with our designs, resin just doesn't necessarily cooperate as well. Uh, with plastic, it actually makes up for it, much like the pewter, because they can they can bend, flex a little bit. But with the hard plastic, it just made them that much more durable. So it made the slender physique of the fawns actually a bit more practical. Uh, we spent Absolutely. actually we spent a couple months just trying to tweak the size to get them right because they were looking at small at about 32 
So just a bump of roughly 2.5 millimeters, it was really easy. It's actually made them stand more in comparison to models like GW or Mantic in this case. Exactly, exactly. Oh, I'm excited. Well, let's start talking about this Kickstarter. What's the plan? When when do we gonna go, when are we gonna go live? So right now we're actually live right now. Uh, we just Whoa. announced it. We just announced it today. Well, we actually just started it today, five ten. And we're running it through. It looks like June 9th for about thirty days. Uh, we're trying to raise at least the minimum of ten, but uh, there's a lot of people who actually would like to push for the centaur. So. Maybe up to the 30. We don't know how the future will go, but we've been trying to do as much uh, advertising as we can between word of mouth, uh, magazines, reviews. Um, Michael was actually very helpful in actually getting the review out pretty quick. Over over two two grand already, uh, and you've only been in it for a couple hours? Yeah, it's all, we've been up since 8 a.m. It's just the afternoon now for us, so it's still got some way to go. I mean, 20% of the initial goal, it's kind of crazy. It's actually up to 2,100 right now. Kind of crazy. Exactly. 42 backers. Yeah, and I'm uh, liking, and, and those, those, some of the stuff we just talked about, if you head over to the Kickstarter page, link in the show notes, you can check out some of the renders of uh, some of the centaur, some of the concept arts. Also, I like the fact you posted some pictures of, you know, uh, GW B-Spin next to the next to your font so you can get an idea for scale because I think height-wise they're about the same, but as you said, they're maybe a little bit more slender or more realistic, more le- realistic proportioned. Yeah. Uh, with Jason, a lot of our styles tend to be a little bit more realistic in tone. GW, at the time when they made Beastmen, they made them more mus- muscular. So you, you, I can see some people wouldn't necessarily like them as much if they're used to that style. From a realistic portion, the reason why we ended up doing that was in trade for the height, because they tend to be a little bit more smaller, uh, we had to look over the fact that fawns naturally are actually much smaller than what you typically see in like a human size. So it was either get a size that was similar and just slim down the portions or make it smaller. And making things smaller and doing them in plastic just don't always go hand in hand. So it... It, we actually had to really hit our head on that for a couple of months before we finally landed on that sweet 34.5 millimeter mark. They're suitable for the 28 millimeter scale. So, it, especially considering that they don't have both your clothes and other things, they should fit right in, considering. Oh, and yeah, they just they, look like tall satyrs and are tall fawns. I mean, and they're awesome. What success look like for this Kickstarter? Where where do you want to see it end up? Uh, if we can at least get the fawn sets created, we can always try again later for that center idea. Uh, I th- I think that was actually very popular. I think if we even ran that alone, people would be probably very excited for that. Uh, I'll be okay in either circumstance so long as we can get some goals taken care of. Because I I had to look at it in a realistic sense. We don't have like the email list of say like Mantic or other companies who are running Kickstarters right now who blast through it in like, a, like an hour or two of when they started. So uh, from here, I'd like to kind of start a reputation for whatever we start, we finish and hopefully get the delivery done very smoothly. So that way when we try again, we'd have the confidence of more people who back us in the future. And Right now, between me, Tim, War Games Atlantic, and 
other sculptors who want to try some ideas. I'm, I'm thinking we could probably do a hell of a lot. It's just a matter of finding the time, resources, and the sculpts to do everything. And right now we're kind of in a good position to start listening to people because there are so many things that are not touched that the big game companies just don't want to touch. And we can do it at a level where it's actually feasible for us to do it. You know, if there are ideas that people want to try, feel free to send things like PMs to us or emails. You never know. We might take that idea and run with it or just make it feasible for everybody to actually get. But right now, I'm just being a kid in a candy shop. And I mean, you could break even for, for all I care at this point. It's just really awesome to see what it takes to get plastic models on the table. Going through the pain to do it is, it was worth it for every step. Uh, I mean, hours talking on phones with people, just understanding what was going from one thing to the next was just, it's very sobering. You can, for example, you can actually spend more in sculpts and modifications than you can actually do the molding. It's pretty insane. <laughs> in some senses, you've already got a good head start on all of this stuff because, you know, that learning curve, you're kind of through it. You got a mold in hand, you know, you've got a mold finished, you've got a sprue in hand. Now it's more like replicating more of the same, right? And, and it should get easier for you, hopefully, over time. Yeah, it actually should. Uh, the method for doing it now is fairly streamlined because once we digitize the sculpts and everything like that, you can actually outsource it to people who can calibrate that. They have that expertise for it. It's just more like feeding files at this point and making sure that you're finding the molds. You said Chimera. You said, you know, we've talked about things in the past. What You know, what's the... What's the thing that's like pie in the sky for you? You would love to get to this point where you're going to some crazy monster, some crazy, what's, what's the, the greatest thing? Yeah. What's the pie in the sky? Pie in the sky for me right now would be that Chimera. Oh, I don't know if you, I'm sure I posted the scopes that or the uh, concepts for it at one point or another, but essentially it was kind of a, a different take on the traditional Chimera where you kind of saw like a centipede tail, and kind of a dragon, kind of a lion. It's just, we want to have the excuse to make a monster that's kind of like a 50 to 75 millimeter scale um, because he, it's kind of like a giant. Sometimes you just don't question it, you just do it. So to, it would give us kind of a practice to see what it would take to do things like dragons or other big monsters for the future. Because you never know, we may just want to outdo Mantic colossal giant just for shits and giggles just because we can but you know, it's just kind of things like that it's like if you have the tools and you can play with it why not and give it a shot but um i think after the kickstarter we're just kind of have to round up what we have right now and then just kind of take a stock and see where we go from there um i know tim wants to do a lot of cool things right now so kind of seeing where he's going to go from that and promised a few guys too to look into some projects to see if it would be feasible with other people as well. Why is this the best project on the planet right now? We're creating a product that isn't pewter or resin. It's from a small independent shop and we actually have hard plastic fawns that no one's really touched on. No one's done female fawns. We're, we're just the group that does things because we freaking can. And we've put in so much time into this. It's just it's it's not a cold product. It's a product with two years of passion put into it. Some of the best hands touching it. 
And when you can actually say that you have and something that you love, you, you can't get that anywhere else. You can have lovingly put together pewter sculpts, resin sculpts, but no one puts this amount of effort into making a cool thing like fonts. Yeah, we can do that and keep it with our projects. That is why our products will excel in the future. And that's why you should consider it. If not for fonts, just the idea that we can take cool ideas and bring them to life where the other companies say no. Go to the show notes, head over to the Kickstarter, back early, back often. Let's be honest, you set a very realistic go of $10,000. I think there's an untapped market for this product. I really do. I think there may be resin and metal and even some hard plastic beastmen out there. But as you said, you've got a different take on it. And I think uh, people are going to appreciate that. Every bit of our design style is trying to be opposite of what is traditionally seen. Um, we may use conventional methods, but every bit of our design style, every bit of our development is kind of the seat of our pants. It's different, independent, and from us, we're just doing it because we love it. And if we can make a business out of it, all the better. But right now, we're running the Kickstarter right now. Um, trying to find a good way to describe how we find the link. But you can either type in 28 millimeter hard plastic fonts into Google or on Kickstarter. You can also find it on font models on um, Facebook. Uh, we actually have a little easy URL to go to for that one. But we've been working on a page for a couple of years now. That's kind of been used as the central hub focus. Well, I'm excited for you because, I mean, this is something you've been working on for a really long time. Uh, and actually, obviously, have the first sprue done, um, and then you know, hopefully, knock on wood, the money to to really make this into a full fledged line of product, um, a, a full fledged product line. I'm you know, I'm over the moon, and I, I you know, I think this is one of these things where I think you know what you got, but maybe you don't really know. You know, it's like one of those things where I think it may surprise you where this thing ends up because um, the models are fantastic, and I over the years Kickstarter. I think when you actually have an actual product in your hand, right, or at least the first part of it that you can show, hey, guys, I actually can do it. I've actually done it. And here it is. That's a different take than, hey, here's some 3D renders of something we're going to make in China next year. So, you know, I, I think there's uh, I think you're going to get a better response than than maybe even you think. Yeah, I'd be probably surprised. I, I've been trying to stay kind of a, a grounded approach to it because we we thought we'd boost the confidence for people from considering the last time when it was mostly uh, renders and concepts. So to actually have a good quality sprue in the first part, I just thought it would add more to the success. Plus it gave us a good up, up opportunity to test the molder. Well, I think too, that that's maybe one of the takeaways from your last one, right? Was, you know, I think, you know, the, the value of having this, the sprue, even though it was a lot of work and a lot of money, having this one sprue, shows a the commitment b your knowledge and c your passion and you know i think those are three things that are going to make this a big success well we definitely hope so before we get out of here i did want to share my impressions of the sprue that rob graciously provided me um four things jump out at me i, I want to touch on the aesthetic the sprue layout the molding and the assembly of the models 
So just picking up the sprue, the first thing that jumped out at me is they, it's obvious that Rob and company have decided on a very specific design choice or aesthetic choice. Um, the fawns themselves have very realistic internal proportions. Fawns are also a little taller than I would have expected for 28 millimeter fawns, but I think that was a good choice because it makes them fit in better with the other models uh, that you'll find in a fantasy game. And also, it's worth noting that there's definitely a historical influence on the look of the models themselves. I mean, all you have to do is look at the wicker shields. In terms of the sprue layout, I think this is an area that's really interesting. First, there's a ton of pieces uh, that make this a very modular kit. You know, you've got three bodies, basically, and then you have a bunch of different ways you can equip those bodies. But the torsos themselves are actually modular to the uh, a future centaur sprue. In addition, there's a second fawn sprue in development that will have female bodies, and I assume will uh, mix up some of the armament. So on this sprue specifically, you can equip the fawns as archers with a hand weapon shield, a great weapon, or a spear and a shield. About the only thing that I couldn't come up with is you really can't, you really don't have the option for a heavily armored fawn, given the herd that, that probably doesn't make any sense anyways. Uh, one curious thing I will mention is that the selection of components. You know, there's three bodies but there's only two shields and only one bow. Even though you can make all these different things, you're limited in terms of what you can make with this one sprue. But I suppose this will get balanced out when the, the second fawn sprue is funded via the Kickstarter. In terms of molding, it was a lot better than I was expecting, uh, given how small some of the pieces were. The parts uh, cut away clean, and there was very limited flash. In terms of assembly, it's probably worth noting that I hate kits with tons of pieces. Um, I have a horror story where I tried to assemble this uh, Roman skeleton kit from Zaveta that had like, I, I swear each infantry model had like 10 pieces. It frustrated me to the point where I threw it out. But I'm super happy to say that this kit is the exception to the rule. Uh, even though there's, you know, five, six pieces per, per model, they went together perfectly on their first try. It's obvious somebody took a lot of loving care to spend the time to perfectly adjust the components so they fit just right. So in the end, I was able to, with this one sprue to build an archer, a spearman, and a heavy weapon fawn, basically a, a fawn with a two-handed two sword. Two thumbs up for me. I think it's a great sprue that really indicates the direction that this whole range is going to go. Basically, it's a proof of concept. They, they have it in their hands. This is what they're going to do. So you can know proof positive. This is what the models are going to look like. And I'm excited about the future as new sprues come out. They'll build on everything that's come before. Well, with that, until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.